Welcome to Is Franchising Right For You? with your host, Rick Morgan. Through each episode, we'll demystify preconceived notions about franchising, both entrepreneurs franchising and those buying a franchise. You can find this show on all the major platforms, including YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Now here's the host of Is Franchising Right For You, Rick Morgan. Good morning, Zach. Good morning, Rick. Hey, you know, podcasting is, is new to me, but I figure if you want to grow, you got to change the paradigm. You know, you got to try, try new things. My intent for this podcast series is to give the full range of franchising. Okay. So I've invited guests, franchisors, clients, franchisees, consultants, my peers, and financing legal over the next several weeks. And I wanted to do that through through storytelling. You've got a great story. Ooh. I admire what you and your business partner, Josh, have done prior to the development of horsepower brands. I admire horsepower brands. And I think it's an important story to tell to let listeners know what you've built is possible if you have those ambitions. When, I, I, you know, I'm sure when you started with Monster Tree and Redbox Plus and you had one franchise, you weren't going to stop there. You had bigger aspirations, which in a minute I'll let you unfold and tell. But I, I thought a good segue for you to tell your story would be to talk about how you point out the difference between first generation and second and third generation. Oh, by the way, I would say you're a third generation entrepreneur because I, a few days ago I saw a, a post where you honored your grandfather's birthday. So you're a third generation entrepreneur. That's correct. But you're, you're, you're implying some sort of difference and maybe that explanation can be a great segue into how you got into franchising. Yeah, it's actually uh, so. I'm I'm on this call from a really unique place that's special to me. Uh, in 1969, my grandpa became the first entrepreneur in my family. He uh, purchased a livestock auction barn for one dollar, and a livestock auction barn is where the community brings their livestock to sell and get auctioned off to the public. And he overheard the owner uh, trying to basically offload it to a, a, a competing one down the road, a few towns away, and. He uh, swooped in and leveraged the family farm, absorbed the debt, and he built it into a multi-million dollar business in the 70s and 80s and, uh, you know, in a really small town. And so when I think about that, uh, my grandpa's very frugal. I mean, he doesn't throw away anything, reuses everything possible, and they had to do that to build that business. But my dad grew up in that business. My uncle grew up in that business. My uncle's son, my cousin, uh, he grew up in that business. Uh, I got, I also obviously grew up there. My my cousin and I would actually get pulled out of school on Tuesdays to help with sales. And when I think about that, my dad now runs this business. My uncle owns his own livestock marketing company called Livestock Digital. My cousin owns the large animal vet practice in town. I have horsepower, our e-commerce business, our cow-calf ranch. And you know, that one decision to do that, he became the first entrepreneur and down the line. And what I, what I, I, that's my first question that I ask candidates because I want to know, 
because if they're a first generation entrepreneur, they have something missing that they that they've never experienced, and it's hard to communicate what that thing is. But uh, the level of you know pride that you have, or the level of uh, you know uh, I'm not sure how to explain it, but growing up in a family business, you just have a different outlook on controlling your destiny and business ownership. And I spend a lot of my first interactions with clients trying to help them understand what that is as best I can. The people that are second or third, they already know. I mean, they already know that it's hard. They already know that there's, you know, the rewards are, are better, are, are, are super important. But uh, that's an important thing where if you've never owned your own business, you did not grow up in a family business, there is a level of, uh, a, an internal feeling that you get from doing so that I've personally uh, experienced. And the only thing better than that is having children. A great story. So through that experience, through that experience of your grandfather and your uncles and your father, is that what led you to say, I'm going to be independent. I'm going to develop something that I'm proud of. And is that how you got into franchising? You know, it's, my family never sat down with me and said, you need to be an entrepreneur and need to own your own business. That conversation never happened. I think understanding that what they built and wanting to do something similar, I think was always a feeling I had. But my, how I got into franchising is pretty unique. I started working at a, as a part-time associate at a nutrition store. And the background on that nutrition store is the gentleman that owned the top grossing GNCs in the country broke off and started his own nutrition store line. And I was one of the first employees when it opened, I was part-time and about two weeks into that journey, I, I can't remember if I think one person quit and one person went to corporate, but there was nobody left to manage the store. And I said, well, how much does a manager make? And uh, they said, well, around 80,000. I said, well, I'm the manager until so you find a better one. And I, I remember I worked open to close a, a ton, kind of neglected my college classes for sure. And uh, I was good at that. I, I built that location up into one of the best stores. They then begin they then to begin to franchise, and the owner's nephew I was pretty close with was the first franchisee. And I said, "This is what I should do." And I had saved up about twenty thousand dollars, so I I ended up going to the founder and somehow convinced him to co-sign an SBA loan, put in my twenty thousand dollars, and then I moved to Florida to open up my first location. And it was great. I one point three million first year open opened up another location and another then acquired some. And within three years, I had seven locations of my own stores in Florida on pace to our goal was 8 million in revenue. And, uh, you know, it's interesting in the weight loss industry, Rick, two things happen when people buy those products, it works and they don't buy it again, uh, or it doesn't work and they for sure don't buy it again. It was about two years to exhaust our new customer base at the exact same time. Amazon came in and started e-commerce bodybuilding.com and we were behind the e-commerce game and I ended up losing everything and uh, filed bankruptcy. And uh, the big, the big learning lesson is don't personally guarantee every lease for 10 years. And that was my downfall. And uh, I'll never forget rock bottom. And there was another franchisee who I was trying to figure out some stuff with and uh, they had 10 or 15 locations and I, I wanted equity and, but uh, I, I wanted equity in future locations. And so I, negotiated a $23,000 annual distribution for equity and future locations. And we grew that to 68 locations and over 40 million in revenue in three years. And so we did that for about a decade. And that's how I, I ended up leaving there. And, you know, at that time I was a manager of a 
of a concept that was beginning to franchise. I was an early adopter, a failed franchisee, multi-unit franchisee, rebuilt franchisee. And so I had a pretty good story and a lot of, you call it franchise wisdom. And I got into consulting and development. And the first brand that I worked with was Monster Tree Service, which my partner started. And that's kind of how we met, which, you know, uh, there are certain people that I just think that you're destined to work with. And that's, that's us. That, that's an incredible story about building something and having a competitor with technology come in and kind of just strip it away, but figuring out how to rebuild your equity, exit, meet the right person. And with Monster, Monster Tree, that's home and property services. So it, it seems like you've kind of stuck with that industry as your playing field. Well, Rick, you know us. I, you know, we're not you know, we're not white collar executives. We're blue collar. We'd rather turn the wrench than be in front of the computer. We love equipment. You know, heck, we, we have a cow calf ranch for gosh sakes. And so uh, I think that resonates with us where, you know, we just have a, our brain around home services. We can wrap our heads around the, the, the sales process of making the customer feel a certain way, the services provided, how to differentiate ourselves and how to leverage technology and uh, process to just simply be a more attractive uh, concept and, and offering. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that says to me that you're, um, you've got two mentalities, blue collar worker, blue collar mentality, but a very strategic brain, both you and you and Josh. And, yeah. and the way you've, yeah. the way you've outlined how you're gonna grow, who you want to grow with, who you want to acquire, and the industry uh, you want to play in. Is there something you see about home services that makes it ripe for growth? Oh, 100%, yeah, 100%. So when you think about what type of business do you want to be in, I personally, I want to be in a space where there is a lot of consumer demand. And with consumer demand, typically comes a lot of competition. But if you can find competition that's fragmented, what better place for franchising to come in with uh, with better technology, superior branding, better systems and processes, being nationally backed yet locally owned? You can, I mean, none of our brand, like our roofing concept doesn't put doesn't put shingles on differently than other roofers, but you know we built up one of the largest roofing companies in North America because of the of our systems and processes that have been put in place to to win jobs and create referrals and what better place for franchising to come in and then in the space where there's a lot of demand, fragmented competition that doesn't have a good handle on technology and process. And it indicates, uh, yeah, you're right. The, the service of putting on a new roof is the same. Now you may have different or better roofing tiles, maybe, maybe not, but the ability to reach their customer base in a particular territory, I think that's what creates the difference. And it's that, that marketing machine, a sales machine, and the infrastructure that Horsepower has to support the franchisees, that's why I admire your company. Can you talk about what you've built, not just in the brands, but the support system that franchisees can take advantage of? You know, the an interesting saying I heard the other day, Rick, was that there's a big difference in, in a person's, uh, uh, was that a bit, there's a big difference in people when, when you think about people that 
need to win and people that hate to lose. People that hate to lose tend to do things to win that they shouldn't be doing. And people that need to win have to win the right way. And so for us, you know, we're aggressive growth-minded empire type thing, and we're aggressive. And we've, you know, every organization that both of my partner and I have ever been a part of has grown at an exponential pace. And through that experience, you start to realize that when you grow aggressively, you there are systems or, or, or stop gaps you have to put in place to make sure you're doing that responsibly. And one of the things that in, in franchising that's interesting is that less than 5% of brands achieve 100 active locations. And there's a lot of brands that sell 100 but never get them open. And so for us, we wanted to grow aggressively across the country. We wanted to open more, have higher average unit volumes, have less failures. And to do that, you just can't have one good you know, one good branch of the tree. So when our first brand, Mighty Dog, and we did, in our previous brands, we experienced this. And you take a brand from one location to 100 and you do it in a short period of time, there's very few vendors that, you, that, that you'll partner with that can maintain that growth with you. And it's hard to go to a company that you don't have a relationship with and say, hey, you need to invest in your infrastructure prior to our growth to keep up. You know, that's something that they're, you're not really going to get a lot of buy-in on. So... What we had to do is we either had to merge with, uh, acquire, or start shared services that support our franchisees. And uh, a perfect example is our call center. Uh, when we started, we were growing at such a pace where the call center was having a hard time keeping up, and they just couldn't – they were being so reactionary. They couldn't put people ahead of the curve. So for us, we, we created the call center where when we sign a franchisee, we know that their average time to open – or for whichever brand, we know what that time period is. So we can start to staff before they open to get ahead of those issues. And so what we've created is a, a, an umbrella company that owns the brands. We do all of the development in-house and we own most of the shared services that support the franchisees. And that's done one thing that you know, we didn't really plan on, but it's, it's given us an, a competitive advantage because it's created a triangular uh, accountability where if the development team's not bringing in good candidates with the right expectations, the brand suffers, and then there's conflict that has to get resolved. If the brand's not doing the right things to support franchisees, validation suffers, which then negatively affects the development team or the sales arm, and then there's conflict that has to get resolved. If the if one of the shared services is falling behind and there's negative validation, there's conflict between the shared services and the development team. Or if the performance of the shared services isn't good, then there's conflict between the shared services and the brands that has to get resolved. That's something that we haven't seen in franchising to date. And that's something that makes our mission, which is the success of the franchisee, we have complete alignment across all three of those pillars. So that triangular accountability, is that something you you learned through your first couple of acquisitions and then say, okay, now we're gonna when we develop this company, we're going to integrate all these support services? No, we had I'll be honest, Rick, we had no desire to do any of those things. Uh, what happened was it, it was either, hey, we have to slow down how many locations that we open and award because the shared services can't keep up. And so it was either slow down or find a different solution. And that's where the first shared service, which is the marketing company, Franchise Rocket, came into play where we acquired a company to invest dollars in infrastructure so that they could continue our growth trajectory and then it happened again so then we merged with then we 
happen again until we, we st- started one. And I think today we have six or seven shared service entities that came out of necessity to, 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 to be able to support our franchisees on our growth trajectory and to do it well. And that triangular accountability just kind of, that's just kind of what the end product was, which, you know, it, it, again, it makes us very unique. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to go out on a limb and, and state something about horse, what my understanding of horsepower brands is that you've kind of done something that really nobody in franchising has done before. Uh, you're batting a thousand in the brands that you own and taking them from basically one location, one to three, and getting them to a hundred. Yeah. That so you know, and, and if I look at that. That means, well, if you want to include uh, Redbox Plus and Monster Tree, you've probably approved well over a thousand franchisees. Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah we're, we're, we're well over 2,000. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you were to chart the characteristics of those franchisees, because you're not going to approve anybody, everybody, you know, right. certain empire mentality that you're looking for. But if you were to chart that, you probably would have a predictability tool that is st- statistically significant in identifying who you want, you know, who could be, is going to be successful. Is there something that, uh, and maybe you haven't, you know, done that and, and I'm not suggesting you do, but is there something that stands out about candidates that you know, based on your history that you want them? Gosh, your- you know, this is a, co- a topic that gets talked about a lot and we've tried several i mean i don't know how many different personality test tools and you know there there's a couple ways to think about this as of today my partner and i we have launched more franchise concepts from one location to 100 active locations than anyone in the history of the industry so i would say our model of supporting franchisees is very well established is I don't like to say superior because there's some other really great brands out there, but uh, you know we understand typically what we're going to be going up against and how to get ahead of those problems. So we overstaff and we have a lot of intellectual capital at the brand level. But the better you get at supporting franchisees, the more common your success will be across multiple different types of candidates. But when I think about, it's easier to tell, talk about what I know doesn't work. Uh, to start with, and so what we the one thing that we have we have clear agreements across our, our teams on is that when we're working with candidates through our development process, the ones that get to the end and can't take that last, you know, and I always say you get to eighty percent of the information to make your decision. That's as far as you're ever going to get, and you're not going to have enough to make it feel good. The ones that can't get over that, that take a long time to make their decision, that have to you know, you, you, you kind of feel like you might be have to convince them. Those are the ones that don't make good franchisees and especially business owners. And it's because they they have a tough time making tough decisions. And then when they make the wrong decision, they have an even tougher time fixing it and pivoting to a different decision. And they typically don't make, well, I would say it's almost 100% of the time, but they don't make the, they don't make good business owners. So that would be one thing that that doesn't work, and you know, the the one of the big things that that we look for is that we do not want pessimistic people as business owners. We want optimistic, glasses half full, always a solution type of people because 
those are people that go out there and find ways to win versus people that go out there and find ways not to lose. And that's a, that's a big difference. So it's, it's offense, offensive minded versus defensive. Minded. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, and any business owner is, you're going to have to have grit. You're going to have thick skin. You're going to have to be able to handle some chaos here and there. And you're going to have to be comfortable getting uncomfortable. I just saw you said as your business owner, Rick, you have not a lot of experience in, in podcasting, but here we are. Yeah. So roll the dice. Right. And so I think a lot of people that get into business, they have a, a tough time going, well, I don't know if I can go do that. And I'm like, it, it's not a question if you can or not. The question is, why didn't you just go try it? Exactly. Exactly. If you can't trust yourself, then move aside. But if you trust yourself, go do it. My favorite and, quote is. And you talked about failure yeah. early on in this in this podcast and look at look at how you've overcome it because of your belief in yourself. That's that's what I try to convey to candidates too. Well, my my favorite quote is good decisions come from experience, and experience comes from bad decisions. Uh, you know, the more you can train yourself on looking for opportunities, the more opportunities you'll just happen to find. And uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, you have to have a good mindset. And if, you know, my wife and I make dream boards every year and it's crazy. When we go back three or four years, you know, the things that we put in those dream boards are the things that we actually have that are on those dream boards. And so, uh, you know, I think when I went through my, you know, call it rock bottom, that was one of the best things that happened to me personally, because it, it set me on a different trajectory but it was never about believing in myself or any of that. It was, I didn't want to go through life not having that feeling that I talked about in the beginning. I, I, you know, building something great is something that I've wanted to do and building something that can help people get that feeling on the inside is, I mean, there's, I don't know if I'll ever get, there will never be another project that I'll probably be involved in that will be as important to me as this probably today. To be honest. A couple more subjects before we uh, wrap up, Zach. I know your time is precious, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the business that you and your wife, and I think you've mentioned before that this is your your, your wife's lead, Butler Beef. Yeah, we, so we have a cow-calf operation, which is my, if I could do anything, Rick, I'd be a, I'd be a broke cowboy all day. That's what I'd like to be. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't feed the kids, unfortunately. And so we have a cow-calf operation where we deal in higher end genetics and then we uh, feed some cattle and we have a beefy commerce business where we sit, we, we uh, do a lot of boxes of beef for gifts, high end cuts uh, with really fancy packaging that are really designed when you open it again to give that experience of holy moly. And uh, that's been a really fun venture. My wife is unbelievable, absolutely crushes it. Is that something that she was involved in before you guys met and got married or is this an offshoot of your family business who is still involved in the cattle industry? You know, it's not really a part of the previous family business, but I'll tell you, it's funny. So uh, I have fed cattle as an investment for a while where you can custom feed cattle and, you know, there's a lot of corruption in the, in the cattle industry, but my dad buys cattle for a living. So my dad bought me some feeder cattle and my brother-in-law feeds them and so they were getting, I got good pricing on buying them. I got good pricing on feeding them. And that year, the packer who processes the cattle, they made more head per animal than they've ever made in the history of the industry. And I made $1 on the, 
on like a half million dollar investment, one dollar. And uh, I told, I remember telling my wife, I was like cursing up a storm. I was like, I just can't. I was like, these, blah, blah, these, this, and these people, that. And I was like, we're, we're going direct. And we just, and I, so I, I went on, we got a logo. I, I figured out how to get the labels. And uh, my wife and I started doing it together because I didn't really have the time. And she took, she took it over and grew it. I mean, we make more money on that business than we ever did feeding cattle. And uh, I mean, she's a, she has done a hundred percent, created the website, the process, right. as a storefront. And so now all I get to do is deal with the, the, the cow calf and she gets to deal with, as I say, deal with the life and she gets to deal with the death. <laughs> well, I, I see your postings all the time or your wife's postings all, all the time. So my intent today was to give listeners a deeper understanding of horsepower brands. And, you know, one of the two co-founders who, who built the company, I get the sense that your mission is, not only to build a, an admirable, powerful company, but to help the country create entrepreneurs. And is that something you can talk about? Uh, I feel like it goes back to that. And it, when I, every discovery day, I give this story, and I, I almost it makes me kind of emotional every time. But the feeling that you know, a first generation entrepreneur, there's this the feeling of owning your own business and or being part of a family business or recognize what your family built excuse me, is, is undescribable. And I still can't uh, communicate it well, but they have something missing. And if you can give them a small taste of what that is, you know, they'll, they'll never look back. You, you very rarely hear people that went and started a business for themselves, shut it down and went back to corporate. That is something you don't really hear that often. And so uh, for the first generator, for the people that are listening that are, you know, on their, journey to becoming the a first generation entrepreneur i mean hats off to you what you're starting is so admirable what your future generations will get to experience is an incredible feeling that i cannot describe in words and so if we can give people just a small taste of what i mean uh, and what i feel josh grew up in a family business you know there is something there that uh even if you even looking out even if they did it and failed lost money i just that feeling is still important. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I wanted to, again, give our listeners a deeper understanding of horsepower, understand you and your feeling about entrepreneurship. Uh, it, it's an honor to have you as my guest. I hope you'll come back down you know, in early 2024. And I just want to thank you. I also want to I'll get a little personal here. I, I want to thank Horsepower for supporting me and my wife's journey through her battle with cancer. I know. Rick. She lost. She lost it. And when I finally got home, you know, this beautiful bouquet of flowers. I'll never forget that. Thank you. You mean a lot to us, Rick. And uh, we've been we've known each other for a long time now, haven't we? We have, we have, we have, we've known each other even before the creation of Horsepower. So you know, sorry, you know, I talk about that and get a little emotional, and uh, I just appreciate it. Thank you, thank you again for being a guest. Um, if there's any last words you want to take to to convey to our audience, please take it before we. Well, I, I could say. Uh, 
remember to eat beef and support your local beef farmer, but I think that's overused. So we could say, uh, you know, uh, there's never a good time to start a business. Uh, Josh and I started horsepower during, I mean, we literally started, I think, June of 2020, like during heart of COVID. People thought we were crazy. But there's never a good time to start. But I can tell you that it's going to be the hardest thing you ever done, but it will be one of the most, if not the most rewarding things you've ever done. Thank you. It's you got to have patience. You got to, to, to start a business and stick with it. You can't have instant gratification. That, that's my learning in, in this. And uh, again, Zach, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Rick. You've been tuning into Is Franchising Right For You? with your host, Rick Morgan. You can find more episodes on all the major platforms, including YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others.